Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Hey, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the podcast. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and hey, we're helping you turn your cities upside down, and we're doing that by giving you scriptural motivation and strategies to help you get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus. Now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to talk about enduring faith. That's right, faith that endures. You know, something that's unique about us, we're actually called believers, And that's because we were made or created to believe. We were uniquely designed to work together with the word. Now, here's what's very interesting. I want to touch on this briefly, but Jesus is the word that was made flesh. Ephesians 5, among other places, reveals him also as the head to a body. He is a husband to the bride. His body, okay, which is also the bride of Christ, But the revelation is that there is a head and a body. And the only thing that is uniquely compatible and comparable to a head is the body. Well, here's here's the thing. He's the head. We are the body. He's the word. And we were designed to uniquely work together with and associate with the word. The word is released, and we believe that word. And there's a substance called faith that comes out of or is a byproduct byproduct of belief. And the Bible says that faith is a substance. And so the word in and of itself lacks substance until you and I, come on, uniquely work together with that word to put substance to it in order that it would take upon flesh and then manifest itself. Now, think about that, friends. You and I are uniquely, uh, our, our work is unique to working deliberately with the word itself. It's fascinating. It's phenomenal when you really sit down and think about it. So don't ever uh, discredit uh, what you and I are designed to do. And so we anticipate every word that comes out of his mouth because our job is to believe it and then not just believe it, put faith to it so that it could demonstrate itself, manifest itself, take upon itself flesh. Every word of God was designed to take upon itself flesh, but it can't do that independent of you, the believer. All right, so in the image of, uh, excuse me, in the image and likeness of God, you and I were fashioned and formed to believe and therefore speak. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, Let's see here. Now, many times to believe in God is to believe against our natural senses. Faith sees before your natural eye sees. So sometimes your natural senses are playing catch up with what your spirit man or your heart or your believer, the innermost part of you, sometimes your natural senses, your sensibilities are playing catch up because your heart is way out into the future. Your heart is seeing things. Your heart, your spirit man is receiving things from God that aren't even tangible yet in the natural realm. And sometimes it gets way out ahead of you. I'm talking about the flesh part of you, the naturally minded part of you. And that part of you has to play catch up. Sometimes it doesn't even want to catch up. You have to discipline it or subdue it or bring it into subjection or obedience to the word 
of the Lord that's been revealed to you. But that's because faith sees before your natural eyes see. Faith hears something before your natural ears hear it. Your spirit, man, is united with the Lord, and it is alive unto him, and it's seeing and hearing and interacting with him long before that reality would hit the natural realm. Here's something I heard once, and it really impacted me, and I want to share it with you. Bible faith demands that we believe something before we have any natural proof for it. Oh, thank you, Father, for it. Uh, There's a passage here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, and I'm going to read it to you from the passage translation. It says, The Lord laid the earth's foundation with wisdom's blueprints. By his wisdom or his living understanding, all the universe came by faith into being. Verse 22 says, In the beginning I was there, for God possessed me even before he created the universe. From eternity past, I was set in place before the world began. I was anointed from the beginning. Now, he's referring to the word here, or the word is uh, speaking to us right now. Therefore, the ocean's depths were poured out, and before there were any glorious fountains overflowing with water, I was there, dancing. Even before one mountain had been sculpted or one hill raised up, I was already there, dancing. When he created the earth, referring to the Father here. Now, this is the word that is communicating about working with the Father. When he created the earth, the fields, even the first atom of dust, I was already there. When he hung the tapestry of the heavens and stretched out the horizon of the earth, when the clouds and skies were set in place and the subterranean fountains began to flow strong, I was already there. When he set in place the pillars of the earth and spoke the decrees of the seas, commanding the waves so that they wouldn't overstep their boundaries, I was there, close to the creator's side, as his master artist. Daily he was filled with delight in me as I playfully rejoiced around him. I laughed and played, so happy with what he had made. Now, there is a final statement in this passage of Scripture. But again, I want to reiterate here that we're talking about, quickly here, that this is a prophetic revelation. Uh, It was, um, you know, either David or Solomon had this understanding of how the word, the word, because remember the word was with God, John 1. Uh, the word was in the beginning with God, and the word was God. And then it says that the word took on flesh. So Jesus is the word that became flesh. But before he took on flesh in the form of Jesus, he was there working with the Father. And in this passage in this Proverbs here, we have this prophetic revelation of how enjoyable it was to work with the Father and the Father's joy in working with the Word. Now, there's one last phrase that I want to read, because here's the Word so excited, so enthusiastic about working with the Father, but then makes this statement here. All right, so this is Proverbs 8. Uh, Let's see, this is verse 31, Proverbs 8. 31, in the Passion Passion Translation, it says, I laughed and played, so happy with, with what he, referring to the Father, had made, while finding my delight in the children of men. Now, that last statement right there just stood out to me because here's the word re- recounting this enjoyable time uh, that the word had creating everything with the Father. But then this statement is made that he found 
his delight in men. Oh, he loves working with the Father, but the Word found his delight in the children of men. Listen, the Word delights in you. The Word loves to work with you. Listen, when the Father said it's not good that a man should be alone, the first, that's a derivative as it um, would uh, relate to natural man and natural woman. But the first revelation is Jesus. It's not good that Jesus should be alone. I will make for him a helper that is compatible or comparable with him. That's what we understand in the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. Father says it's not good that he should be alone. Listen, his delight is in the children of men because collectively the born-again children of men is what make up his body or his bride. The word longs to work with you. Again, I want to repeat what we opened this podcast with is that we were created to believe. Believe what? To believe the word. Listen, the word wants to work with you. And he designed you in such a way that you are compatible in working with the word. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. The word, again, really enjoys working with you. John 15, 7 says this, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, watch this, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, the word wants to work with you. The the word loves working with you. It wants to work with you. Do you want to work with the word? If we'll give the word first place in our life, because the word has preeminence, the word will reorder stuff in our life. It will love, it loves, it will love to work with you. It wants to work with you. It loves working with you. And if you'll put it first place in your life, the word will go to work and it will reorder because it has preeminence. It will command all things to get in the proper alignment after itself. And I'm telling you, it has your best interest in mind when it does that. This is probably understood, but unbelief makes believing difficult. Unbelief makes believing difficult. The word demands, in order to have its fullest expression, the word demands that you believe it. In order for it to come to fruition in your life, it has to be received in whole. Disbelief, which, well, let me back up. Unbelief is functionally disbelief. Dis being specifically targeted to refute a thing or positionally against or antagonistic. So disbelief would be a belief that has been specifically created or targeted at and aimed at a particular belief in order to draw you or to seduce you out of said belief into another belief, which has, um, So disbelief then is actually a belief in something that has countered another thing. Now, I probably made that more confusing than it needed to be, but you have to understand there is no such thing as a vacuum of belief. So there is actually a lie that sometimes is aimed specifically at the crux of a particular belief in your heart. And that strategy of disbelief is actually trying to shift you off of one conviction over onto another one. Unfortunately, that other conviction would be postured or positionally against God in particular, or the word. By his stripes you were healed. Well, there are strategies of unbelief 
that are created, structured, and postured specifically to counter the truth of by his stripes you were healed. And some people fall for it hook, line, and sinker. So again, disbelief is antagonistic. The sole purpose of disbelief is to oppose and to resist. Again, the primary target would be the word of God. You should not play nicely or tolerate unbelief. You should not play nicely with or tolerate unbelief. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices is what we're told in the scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Verse 5, we refute, that's what we do, or we cast down or overthrow arguments, theories, reasonings, and every proud and lofty thing. Another translation says even imaginations that set themselves up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought, every counter thought, and pursue into captivity these stray thoughts. We pursue them and bring them captive into the obedience of Christ. We don't allow these things to remain in our heart, in our imagination. We don't allow these arguments, these strategies of disbelief to stay roaming around in our head because one day, if you just entertain, if, if you entertain a stray thought, one of these days you're probably going to act on it. And that's going to get you in trouble, friends. Again, the crux of the battle is this, found in Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the words of life. That's really the crux of the battle there. Every lie, every theory, reasoning, vain imagination, every argument is specifically structured to root out the word that's in your heart. Remember Mark 4? These offenses come. These offenses come, it says. These persecutions, other offenses, things that arise for the word's sake. Why? They're trying to get the word out of your heart. Well, why would the devil do that? Because he knows that you were uniquely designed to work together. You are compatible and comparable with the head, Jesus Christ, who is the word. And without you, those words would just... um be floating out there. He needed a body into which the word could take on upon itself flesh. There's a whole lot more that Jesus wants to do, and he's not going to do it apart from you, friends. And that's why the devil is so adamant at about getting in the middle of all this and messing it up. But we're not going to let him do that. We're told that the enemy will come after those very words that have been planted in our heart by our Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy will come after those very words because he doesn't want them to take upon flesh. He doesn't want them to bear fruit. Again, that's Mark 4, 14. It says the sower sows the word. Verse 17 says, but some, if they don't allow that word to take root in themselves, they may endure for a while, but when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they are immediately offended, become displeased, indignant, resentful, they stumble and fall away. Trouble and persecution, we, we could say, disbelief, come on account of the words of life. The moment you stop believing in what Satan wants you to believe, he'll assemble an attack against you. Why? He doesn't want to lose you. In response to the strategy of disbelief, we are to endure, the Bible says. Cling to the word. That's how you uh, survive or endure through a season of attack 
or trial or testing because of the word's sake. You endure, you cling to the word, you hold fast, you tighten your grip. The Bible says you become patient, be, be patient. It says do not waver, do not fling or cast away the word or your confidence. No, we're told to be a good soldier and not give up any ground. Hold and stand firm and strong. We are charged to lay hold of the word. We're also expected to fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? The fight of strong belief, of maintaining that conviction that what he said he would do, he's faithful to do it. He's good on his promises, friends. Again, we're told don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. He will come, and his intention is always to steal, kill, and destroy. And whenever you have a word from the Lord, when you have something by faith, I'm telling you, friends, the enemy is going to come after your belief. That's what he does. But here's the thing. Satan cannot stop anything from originating in the spirit realm. The word is upholding all things. But when the word uh, fellowships with you, when you fellowship with the word, and it deposits life into the womb of your heart, it always comes in a seed, word seed form, and it will be deposited in your spirit. This is the point at which Satan comes after you. If he has knowledge that the word has been revealed to you on some level, he's going to set up a strategy, dis, a strategy of dis, it's something that's going to be specifically, uh, strategically tar- targeted against whatever he thinks is happening in you because he's got to shift you from belief into doubt. Another way of saying doubt is another belief. It's a disbelief. Again, disbelief is believing a lie that was specifically structured to shift you from the truth. Don't give in to the enemy, friend. So he comes, and he's going to try and still kill and destroy. We're talking about the enemy. And if he gets wind of the word being planted in your heart or hope comes, I, th- I think in some way, uh, if we could see into the spirit realm, I think there's probably a way. It's kind of like the whenever hope arises in your heart, there's enthusiasm, there's joy, there's thankfulness. I think it's obvious when the truth has been revealed to you on some level. I don't think it takes a... Uh, spiritual rocket science uh, scientists to figure out that you have received something of hopeful anticipation from the Lord. Once that, uh, what's the word here? Once that shock wave comes out of your spirit and goes through the spirit realm, I think every demon in hell that is associated with your situation probably knows that they, they need to start throwing all kinds of lies against you, at you, all kinds of accusations against you, and against God, and they'll build all these very targeted, very strategic, demonically strategic, but they'll construct all these arguments, theories, and reasonings, start throwing them at you, trying to get you to shift off of the light of truth you received and get you back over here into a dark place. Don't let them be successful. If the devil prevails in his strategy of disbelief, whatever word or seed you're carrying will be aborted. If he fails in manipulating you to cast away your hope, The seed, the dream, the vision, or the word of the Lord will take upon itself flesh and become a living thing manifested and tangible in the natural realm. Listen, friends, Satan hates that you believe. He hates the fact that you are a believer. You're not a hopeful. You're not a someday. No, you are a right now. You are a believer. That's what you do. 
Satan hates the fact that now faith is the substance. Remember that verse in Hebrews? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The devil hates that truth. He hates that spiritual law, and he hates the fact that the word can get into your heart and remain whatever it is the Lord had put in there will come to pass. He hates that, friends. The devil hates that. God loves it. We love it. You love it. The devil hates it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul discovered something very interesting. I've done a podcast dedicated to this passage in the past, and uh, you should check it out. Because of the abundance of revelation, because of the abundance of, of revelation, a splinter, one translation says, which we, uh, the Bible self-defines itself. So it says that this uh, thorn in the flesh, this splinter, was in fact a demon spirit that was sent at the request of Satan and was specifically assigned to Paul. Why? Because of an abundance of revelation. What was this demon assigned to do to Paul? Well, verse 7, it says, to rack, buffet, and harass me, to keep me from being excessively exalted. Many translations use the word buffet here. It's the uh, Strong's number 2852. It's a good place to start. And it means to strike with the fist. It means to beat, slap, or thrash. It means to treat with violence. It means to insult with language. It means to weary or to exhaust. This, these are the strategies of this splinter or this thorn that was assigned to Paul by Satan because the devil started to get a little bit of some understanding here that there was great revelation Paul was moving in. Why was there great revelation? Because the word was coming to him. Listen, this is what's happening to you and I. Now, we're not equating ourselves with the apostle Paul. Although I would think that because of what the Apostle Paul labored for, that we are in a greater place of revelation than even he was in many instances. Um, we're not adding to the Scripture, don't misunderstand me, but I'm saying that the truth that was given to us uh, has matured. Okay, so here is Paul, and because of an abundance of revelation, because of his fellowship with the Word, and because of your and I's fellowship with the word, great revelations coming to us. You cannot have the word deposited in your heart and you be void of revelation. The enemy knows. Somehow the enemy knows. He, he can tell. He can tell by what you say, what you're doing. There, there, there's, there's something visible in the spirit realm. You and I can't see here with our natural eyes, but you are a child of the light. And when God wants to minister to you, Proverbs says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. When he wants to talk to you, he illuminates your spirit. He is the father of light. You are children of light. He said, walk in the light. Listen, the dark knows when God is ministering to people because there is some level of illumination. Well, they saw this on Paul for sure. They could hear it in his voice. They could see it in his actions. They knew that he was moving in the spirit realm. And so they assigned a demon spirit to Paul to buffet him, to harass him significantly here because, why? Mark 4, trying to get the word out of Paul's heart. So same thing happens to you and I. Again, we're not equating ourselves with Paul, but we don't have to equate ourselves with, with, with Paul. We can equate ourselves with the principle of the matter because the devil wants to get the word out of you. 
And if he can do that before the word has any effect on you, before the word would be rooted and grounded in you, before you would actually uh, anchor yourself to the word, uh, if he could get in there and get that word out of you, well, how does he do that? One way he does it is he may assign a demon spirit to you that his sole purpose, this demon's sole purpose, is to harass you with arguments, theories, and reasonings with these strategically countered lies and deceits that are uh, meant to shift you from believing the word into believing a, a lie. This is the strategy of unbelief or disbelief. It's beliefs that are antagonistic to antagonistic to the truth. And he'll just, he'll literally, he will thrash these lies at you. He will beat you across the head with these lies. He will treat you with violence if he can. He'll insult you with language. He will weary you. He will attempt to exhaust you by bombarding you with disbelief. But you cannot give in to it, friends. You cannot fall prey to those lies because if you give in to it, you'll be shifted over. And you don't want to be shifted over. You want to do what the Word says. Listen to Galatians 6.9. It says, let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right for in due season and at the appointed time we shall reap if we what? Do not uh, loosen and relax our courage and faint. So listen, during this in this this time of buffeting, just like Paul, he prayed, what, three different times. He said, hey, take this from me. The Father said, my grace is sufficient. Now listen, God did not send this demon spirit to Paul. No, it was a messenger of Satan. The Bible is clear. It wasn't an eye problem. It wasn't a knee problem. It had nothing to do physical at all. The thorn in the flesh is self-defined as a demon spirit assigned to Paul by Satan. And that's because Satan knew, knew, knows that the word was getting into Paul and it was having a profound effect on him. You, you, you could just listen to him. You could just watch him and know that something was happening to this man. Same thing to you and I, but here's what we need to do. Hold fast. Don't let up. Don't loosen your grip on, on the word because due season, due season. If you hold on, hold fast. Be patient. If you do not lose your courage, if you faint not, if you don't doubt, if you don't waver, if you stay confident, then you will reap. What does that mean? Your faith will put substance to the word. Your faith will bring into reality. It will cause the word of the Lord, the promise, the hope, the expectation. It will cause that to take upon itself flesh. That's due season, friends. When what you, when what you are believing for becomes real, that's due season. And I really can't explain it, but between the time you believe and the time it manifests, the devil has legal right to harass you. But guess what? His grace is sufficient. And his word, if you'll cling to his word, um, like if you look in Romans chapter 4, it says even of Abraham, that rather than growing weary, rather he grew strong in faith. Why? He hung on to that word. Listen, if you'll meditate on the word, the word will strengthen you. If you'll remind yourself of his promises, the promises will strengthen you. You can have all this buffeting against you, but if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, if we'll do the same thing, if we'll look upon the promise, then there will be a strength rise up. There will be a joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
if we keep our eyes on the promise, there'll be a strength rise up on the inside. That, and even though there's all kinds of buffeting, there's all kinds of strategies of disbelief and unbelief coming against us. If we will keep our eyes on Jesus, we will be strengthened in order to endure. And what are we enduring for or until? Until due season. We're holding strong until the object of our belief, which is the revealed word of the Lord, comes to pass. Hallelujah. Here it is here. I kind of got ahead of myself in my notes, but right here, Romans 4.20, it says, No unbelief or distrust, referring to Abraham, made him waver or doubtingly question concerning the promise of God, but rather he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Verse 21 says, Abraham was fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty enough to keep his word and to do exactly as he had promised. This is where you and I are at, friends. We were made to believe. Now, I think the enemy will test that. Hallelujah. God's not questioning it because he knows what he made you to be. This test has nothing to do with God. This test has everything to do with the devil coming and trying to rob the word out of your heart. Well, don't allow him to do it, friends. Don't give the devil an inch. You've heard the saying, you give him an inch and he'll do what? He'll run off with you for a mile or maybe even two miles. He'll even exploit the word of the Lord. He might run off with you for two miles and then leave you high and dry and stranded on the side of the road, friends. Don't allow the enemy to come in and rob the thing that God has put in your heart. Now, let me leave you with this. What has God put in your heart? What are those things that he has revealed to you when you were spending time in and around his word? Remember, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then what will happen? You'll have a revelation. He will begin to mold, shape desires in you. Now, in those moments right right there, and, and I know you've had many of them, what has he spoken to you? And maybe you've been hanging on for a while. Maybe you've grown maybe slightly fatigued. Well, take this opportunity to encourage yourself in the word of the Lord again. Habakkuk says, write these things down. Now, we don't write down a shopping list and say, God, go get that for me for Christmas. No, it's the things that have come out of your times of fellowship with him are truly, uh, genuinely objects of true faith. That's what I'm referring to here. What about those things? Friends, don't forget them. In fact, recently, the Lord was dealing with me on one of those things. And, you know, I had taken, uh, I had faced some real opposition towards some some of those things. And you know what? I hit, it, I hit him away. I put him in a drawer and was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget about it and move on. He said, no, I want you to get that out. What's the Lord telling you through what I'm saying? What are some of those things you need to get out? Dust off. Put it back in front of you again. And endure, friends. Hallelujah. Stir up your faith again in what God has promised you. I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, let's celebrate together what God does. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for tuning in, friends. I hope this has been good. I wanted to encourage you in enduring in your faith. Hey, listen, if we can pray with you, we would be honored to do so. Several ways you can reach out to us. You can send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv or call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will follow up with you. Hey, I want to say thank you to all those who have faithfully prayed for us. 
I consider you one of our prayer partners. James 5.16 says, when you, my friends, pray, tremendous power is being made available. I want to invite you into that partnership. Or if you'd like to financially support, then we invite you to do that as well. You can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. You'll find ways to do that there. Hey, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.